Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. Triple digits of victory lane. Today we have Bristol Dirt to digest, and we're talking with Amber Balkan, as you can see from the episode title. Interesting lady, I tell you. She gets a bad rap from her appearances on Racing Lives, but... We tried to dispel some of those myths and learn more about her background in racing. I think you guys will enjoy that listen. But before that, we're looking back on some events of April Fool's Day because Dad's getting a little tripped up with this triple-digit territory. Take it away, Pops. Thank you, Duve, and welcome, everyone, to episode 101. This triple-digit territory still has me a little confused about who to talk about. We could go the Cars movie route and highlight Greg Candyman who drove the number 101 Taco Mint Piston Cup car. You might remember him. He had a gingerbread brown paint scheme with candy cane lettering and was one of the cars involved in the big wreck at the Motor Speedway of the South caused by Chick Hicks. Kachiga! Kachiga! But no, I don't think so. Our host took me to task last week for not discussing David Rudiman, who drove the double zero car for Michael Waltrip back in the day and won a couple races over an eight-year cup career. Did you know that David is his middle name? His first name is Emil. I didn't know that. I knew his dad was a short track dirt ace named Buzzy, but also didn't know that Buzzy Rudiman's real first name was also, you guessed it, Emil. That explains it and also explains David's daughter being named Amelia, right? Another tidbit you may not have known, Rudiman actually worked for UPS for a little while before going racing and eventually driving a car sponsored by them. God, I love that big brown truck. But no, I don't think we'll go deeper into the career of Rudy Tootie. So where does that leave us? This episode should drop on April 1st, so I could come up with some April Fool's Day nonsense involving your host. I really could, and that would be lots of fun, but I don't know if he'd have me back anymore, so I'm not going to do that. But I will highlight a couple of On This Day in NASCAR History moments that happened on April 1st. Coincidentally enough, at Bristol, where the dust is still settling from last weekend's Dirt Car Derby. Dale Earnhardt scored his first cup win on April 1st, 1979 at Bristol, driving Rod Osterlund's number two car. And we also fondly remember Alan Kulwicki, the 92 cup champion, who lost his life in an airplane crash near Bristol on April 1st, 1993. Sure do miss them both. That's all for this week. Dave, you'll probably think I should have talked about Joe Nemechek. Hmm. Back to you, Duv. Thank you, Dad. And yes, I uh, I am upset that you didn't talk about Joe Nemechek or Jerry Nadu for the 0-1 car. Fun fact, my dad and I were actually at the Richmond practice session, I believe. I forget what year it was, maybe 03, something like that, where Jerry Nadu had his near-fatal crash. And I was, what, uh, eight years old, seven, something like that at that point. So I don't really remember too much about it. But that was actually like one of my first memories of being at the track. Now that I think about it, I remember his car was like driver's side onto the wall. His front bumper was facing us in the grandstands. And I remember I I didn't understand anything that was going on. And then years later, I realized I was like, oh, wow, like that's the crash that ended Jerry Nadeau's NASCAR career. Pretty much. That's that's pretty crazy. So, Dad, Mark Martin drove the 01 car. Jerry Nadeau drove it. Um who else drove it? Uh, did Eric Almarola drive it? No, he drove the eight car. But Joe Nemechek, I mean, he got into a fight with Kevin Harvick at the all-star race in that car. So many options. Come on. O2, there's some options for O2 next week, all right? I think you can work with that. 
I digress. Let's start off this episode as we always do with a good old-fashioned Did you have Joey Logano winning the Bristol Dirt Race? Because I sure as hell didn't. <laughs> and I didn't have rain delaying the race to Monday, but that was had to be done. I mean, the monsoons were absolutely insane. Like, we're talking flooding, major, major flooding, flash flood warnings to the entire state of Tennessee. You can't blame NASCAR or SMI for that. You just can't. It's bad place, bad timing. It sucks, but it is what it is. So we went back on Monday. Steve Swift and the crew, they prepped the track overnight into Monday morning. And we raced. Truck race happened. Prepped the track a little more. Cup race happened. Major takeaways. First bullet point, visibility was suboptimal. We kind of knew that going in by what everybody was going to tell us, being that it was a day race on dirt. There was going to be a lot of dust, and if it was at night, there wouldn't be as much. So visibility was a problem, especially with the windshields and the tear-offs and the glue and all that stuff. Single-file restarts, that was kind of lame that they went to him in the middle of the race. I get why they did it. I understand why they did it. I probably would have done the same thing myself, but with no warning, just seems like a bad look. So they had to do it, but still wasn't great. The bottom being dominant, I don't know if that was good or bad, but it was reminiscent of old Bristol, wasn't it? I mean, at the end of the race there, TJ Majors was in Joey Logano's ear telling him the entire time to drive it like an asphalt track because that's what it basically was at some points when there was so much rubber on the dirt that you were driving it like a good old worn out short track, which was pretty cool to see. The tire wear was imminent, but it wasn't catastrophic, which I think is a pretty good thing all said and done. And all in all, I'd say that this is a good race, right? I mean, you got a new winner this year. You had a lot of comers and goers to a certain extent. I was a little bit surprised that the dirt ringers weren't up front as much as they were. Now, Christopher Bell and Kyle Larson, they would have been. I mean, they were coming with a head of steam, but they wrecked out early, obviously. It did show that equipment still did matter big time, though. Even on the dirt, a lot of unpredictability, not a purpose-built dirt track, but Penske was up front, JTG was up front late, but Ricky Stenhouse Jr., who has a plethora of dirt experience, coupled with a team that's been good this year, they're up front. Denny Hamlin had a chance to move him at the end. He didn't. Truex fell back late because of a flat tire, but he was up there. Newman with a top five finish. William Byron with a top 10. Ryan Blaney, same thing. So equipment does matter. And that's I think, was a little bit interesting as well. But let's hear from the winner himself. Joey Logano, the only driver now to win on all track types in NASCAR. Super speedways, short tracks, intermediates, and now dirt. How about that? You know, obviously a, a exciting race, um, you know, a lot of different things happening throughout it. Um, but, you know, I think the, the biggest thing was just being methodical throughout the race. Um, you know, for, for us, we had a, a good uh, Shell Penzo Mustang, one that was probably the best at, at, on the long run. Um, you know, the last 15, 20 laps of a run is where we were really shining. Um, you know, so I was just trying to make sure I had some tires on it for that moment. And uh, the thought in my mind, at least, was, get two cars per, per run. Um, if I can get a couple, get a couple more, get a couple more, uh, you know, I'll be in position to, to, uh, win this race and, you know, was able to pounce at the right times and get by Soros, which is a lot of fun racing him, you know, we're, we're friends. So it's pretty cool to see. And then, uh, you know, being able to maintain the lead and, and race Denny there at the end was nuts, you know, and they watered down the racetrack. That's the thing with this dirt racing, man. You just don't know what you're going to have next, and you're, you're forced to figure something out quickly. So TJ, my spotter, did a good job at, at telling me where Denny was, and I tried moving up, but, you know, it takes such a different driving style to make that work. You know, on the bottom, you can keep it straight and kind of, you know, go around the, you know, kind of like asphalt on the bottom, but up top, you got to have the car pitched out and, and running around. So, you know, you, you definitely two different styles uh, of racing. So, and of driving in the car. And so, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to hold off Denny, you're trying to save your tires for the long run. Uh, and, and that was a pretty, pretty tough challenge for a second. And then, um, working the lap cars at the end was also a, a challenge as well. And, um, you know, luckily we were able to get through, uh, those cars and, and fight them off on that final restart. I didn't want to see that last caution, but, um, you know, to be, you know, the first team to be able to win on dirt in the cup series, uh, you know, in 50 years or so, that's something that, that I'm, I'm very proud of, very proud of this team because this weekend, you know, coming into the week, you, you just, 
don't know, right? I said, that's the phrase of the week. I don't know coming into this. And you didn't know what you had to work on in your car. You didn't know how the race was going to play out. You don't know how the track's going to change. Uh, and it's just, you know, watching and studying and, you know, getting in a dirt car for, for uh, a few races and in Volusia and, and running a heat race here uh, a week ago. So, you know, all that kind of helped out and played out for us. He saved his tires big time and drove it like an asphalt short track in the final 50 laps or so, as I mentioned. Denny Hamlin should have moved him. He even said so, that he wanted a do-over after the race, and I bet he does. But, oh well, life goes on. Say lovey. Runner-up Ricky Stenhouse Jr., he knows dirt track racing like the back of his hand, and he knows track prep. And he said that this track specifically was prepped pretty much the best that it could be given the circumstances that they were under with the amount of rainfall that they had being racing during the day. So I'll take it from Ricky. They did all they could. Yeah, Steve and the boys did a, a great job. Obviously, you know, I watched every race last week and, and they did a great job uh, with all the race cars on the racetrack, knowing, knowing that they had uh, to prep the track a little different for our race cars. Obviously, you can't have it wet uh, with the cars overheating and, and our grill screens and uh, windshields and things like that. So they prepped the track to the best of their ability. Obviously, all the rain didn't help, and, um, you know, they reacted and did stuff as best they could and, you know, came out here last night uh, just to check out, you know, check out the track and uh, kind of talk to them about, you know, what they were going to do between uh, the stages and, and the competition cautions. And, and I think they did a great job. May have got a little bit behind there. Uh, you know, when we started running single file, all the dust just sat in that second lane. And so um, I was one advocating for, you know, single file restarts, and I felt like, you know, NASCAR did a great job adapting to that because, uh, you know, like Steve uh, O'Donnell said, that's that's things that you see in dirt racing uh, when track conditions just change and, and kind of out of your control at that point. Uh, but I think it made the racing better and, and a lot better there at the end. So, um, you know, hats off to, to everybody at NASCAR and, uh, and everybody on the track crew. How about Martin Truex Jr., huh? At the time of this recording, just finished wrapping up with his brother, Ryan Truex, for the Front Stretch podcast this week. So once you're done listening to this, go check that out. But Martin Truex Jr. was a top five car all day in the Cup Series. He won a stage. He won the truck race, swept all the stages in that one a few hours earlier before the Cup race. So let's hear from him after his Truck Series victory, his first ever in the series. How about that? A little surprised to be here, to be honest with you. So, uh, you know, just uh, really, really had a lot of fun today, honestly. I mean, you know, I came here without a lot of dirt experience. Um, I've never really ran a serious race on dirt. A few charity races and modifieds, uh, played around in a micro sprint one time and just really came in here wanting to run the truck race to get experience for the cup car and, um, and also just to, you know, see what it was like and have some fun. And, um, you know, I've always thought about uh you know it'd be cool to win a truck race so i'd have a win in all three series and um i certainly didn't think that was going to happen this weekend this man has not raced on dirt in his life pretty much zero experience virtually hasn't raced in trucks since 2006 and he comes out i know he's in a kbm truck but he comes out and whoops the field wins it dominates it now he's one of 36 drivers in nascar history to win in all three national series. That's pretty badass if I do say so myself. And how about Steve O'Donnell? We know he's one of the head honchos when it comes to competition on track with the product. He called it a two thumbs up with some things to learn and leaving a weekend that had so much unpredictability, so much financial capital involved and a lot of blood, sweat and tears, literally. This is a success from NASCAR's perspective. The industry had everything thrown at it. You know, when you think of the challenge of coming into this weekend just to race on dirt, uh, how much went into that. Uh, but then you add on the fact that we experienced uh, flooding, hail, uh, a day race with unbelievable sunshine, more laps with a truck in a cup race than you'd ever put on a, on a racetrack normally uh, if you were conducting a dirt event. So all in all, really proud of the industry uh, for setting this up, for getting the racing in for the race fans, um, knowing it was a challenge for our fans to stick around on Monday. An incredible crowd turned out uh, here today, and we're, we're really proud of that. I certainly learned a, a number of things during the race and throughout the week that we can apply uh, as we go forward in 2022. But, uh, you know, all in all, I'd give it a, a, a thumbs up with, with some things to learn. Um, the fans had asked us for years uh, to look at innovation around the schedule. In fact, we've been 
we've been taking a task uh, for not making some moves and, and we were bold and aggressive this year. And I'm proud of the team for doing that. I'm proud of the industry for taking a chance here and Marcus Smith and his team and what Steve Swift did uh, for putting this track together was, was incredible. The amount of hours he put together. So really happy for the work he did as well. And they announced that it's going to happen again next year. I don't know if I love that, but I'm okay with it. My thing is, I would rather have this race on a purpose-built dirt track. There are plenty of them across the United States. I understand that they don't hold as many fans as Bristol does, but when you look at the product on track, a purpose-built dirt track would be leaps and bounds better than what we have at Bristol, in my opinion. And I don't have a lot of dirt knowledge, but that's just what I think. And also, this race next year coming again at the expense of a Bristol race on concrete, which is one of the best races of the year time after time. So I'm just not a huge fan of that, but I don't get paid the big bucks to make decisions like this. And I think Bristol does deserve another chance with full grandstands, hopefully with better weather, hopefully to see how this all plays out. And I got to give credit to Marcus Smith, Steve Swift, Jerry Caldwell, everybody at Bristol, because this operation was so freaking hard. It was literally a monumental task to pull off. I know they did it 20 years ago, but doing it again this year under the circumstances that they were with COVID, hats off to them because they did a killer job. Interview time. She's from Canada. She's a driver. She's an entrepreneur. She's a social media influencer. She's Amber Balkan. And you guys may know her name from Racing Wives, that show on CMT. We got into that, and I think she gets a bad rap. And I want you guys to listen into the interview to hear her perspective on those things. She was very honest, very candid about that and a lot of other personal struggles that she's undergone in her life, as well as this new venture that she's on with the BMR Drivers Academy out west, trying to make her name in stock car racing and move up the ranks. So without further ado, here is my chat with Amber Balkan. Pleasure to be joined on Victory Lane today by Amber Balkan, Canada's finest, an entrepreneur, influencer, race car driver, celeb of sorts. You got a lot of titles, Amber. I don't really know how to properly address you. How should we address you? Well, thank you. Um, Just Amber is good. <laughs> <laughs> that works. Simple enough. Well, Amber, I wanted to have you on because um, Women's History Month has now come and gone. We're recording this on April Fool's Day, so happy April Fool's Day. But um, I've had a lot of women in the motorsports community come on the show, and I've been really proud about that. And it got me thinking who I haven't had on that I really wanted to. And your name came to mind because one of our mutual friends, Noah Cornelius, had you on and reminded me, oh, I want to get Amber on. So sh shot you a DM. You responded very quickly, very nicely, and uh, we got you on in quick, quick order. So I appreciate you making some time. But the main reason why I wanted to have you on is because – you're a part of the BMR Drivers Academy, which is a new program for this year out west with Bill McAnally Racing. And you recently finished, I think it was fifth in the last race at Roseville. Is that right? Yeah, fourth and fifth. Gotcha, fourth and fifth. So overall, tell me a little bit about the program and how it's been for you getting acclimated to, to this new program. Because as I mentioned, this is the first year of it being in his, its existence. Cole Moore has been winning a couple races, but everybody's trying to get used to how this whole thing works and you're in it. So tell me how it's been. Yeah, absolutely. It's been the perfect opportunity for me. I've really lacked seat time in the last four years. So especially on pavement. So this is exactly what I need. I'm almost thinking of it as a school because there's so much to learn and we're working with different coaches. We're working not only on track, but off track doing media. And so there's a lot to it. And for me, it's seat time. They do all 40 races. So I get to do all 40 races. Icon Direct is my primary sponsor. Yep. They came on board for the whole season. So I'm super excited about that but yeah it's i'm really just using this as a learning experience to develop my skills and keep improving every race so you mentioned 40 races that is a lot right and especially for somebody like you who needs a lot more seat time who wants more of that it's not like you're just going out and running an arca west schedule which is like 12 races over the course of nine or ten months one right. race every couple weeks or so like you are in it every single weekend you're getting more reps behind the wheel of a race car which is yep. really important for somebody like you as you said was that one of the main reasons that this program was attractive for you 
Yeah, absolutely. Especially because last year I raced dirt midgets, which are open wheel light cars. And mm -hmm. it's completely different than these big, heavy ARCA cars with the, you know, with the larger engines. So I needed something that would set me up for maybe the National ARCA series in the future. And this is exactly what I needed. When I was talking with my sponsor, I was asking them where they wanted me to race. You know, do you want me on the East Coast, West Coast, National? And of course, asking what their budget was as well they told me they wanted to race on the West coast. So the first person I thought of was Bill McAnally, Obviously, of course. So yeah. I called him up and, um, I was actually inquiring about doing the Arca West races, but he told me about this new BMR drivers Academy. Mm -hmm. And after he explained it, I'm like, that is exactly what I need. I need something that's going to get me used to these Arca cars, get me used to, you know, being back on pavement and really set me up for, a successful future in NASCAR. And that's what exactly what this is doing. If I went to the Arca West series, they actually only have nine races this year. And right. I don't think that that would be enough seat time for me to really develop and, and be where I need to be to be in the national Arca series or really an Arca at all. So this is the perfect opportunity for me to be in an Arca car, mm -hmm. um, get tons of seat time, learn a lot so that when I do have the opportunity to be in the full Arca series, I'm prepared. I feel ready. It's not just a one and done deal. You know, right. everything that I've done in the past, I've only raced a couple times a year on pavement and it's like, it's all or nothing. I have to shine in this racer. And that, that that's unrealistic you know yeah. any sport you have to practice the sport over and over to become really good at it so um i'm really excited to see my progression through this year and how much i learn and just have that confidence to go into a bigger series next year so i'm curious amber because like within motorsports you're a big name like people know who you are and people also know arca they may not know the bmr drivers academy but they know bill they know bill mcnally his stuff all that you know that comes with it but from the outside, somebody would say, oh, she's not running ARCA. She, you know, she needs to be in front of more people. She needs to be on more televisions. She needs to do this, that, and the other with this competition. But you made the conscious decision to say, like, okay, even though that may be the case down the road, I know what I need now, and that's seat time. Mm -hmm. It's like the thing that you have to do before you get to start climbing the mountaintop. So that was a conscious exactly. decision for you. Absolutely. You know, it might not be as, you know, glamorous or people might not see it as big of a step, right. but I want to be a race car driver who wins races. I don't want to just be out there in ARCA competing. I want to be out there competing for wins, not just driving around in circles. So I rather have take a step back a little bit and really work on myself as a driver to develop those skills and get better and get comfortable in these cars before putting myself in the ARCA series, because I need that. And I want, when I do get the opportunity to be in the ARCA series, I want to shine. I want to win a ton of races mm -hmm. and do really, really well. I want to win a championship. So I think it's more important for me to set myself up to do well in that series than just jump in it right away. So forgive me for not knowing, because when the BMR Drivers Academy got announced, it was kind of in the middle of the off season, And I think there was something else that like broke that weekend. I know most of the races are at All-American in Roseville. Um, are some of them also at Kern and maybe some other tracks, Irwindale in California, or are they mainly centralized in Roseville? Yeah, so the, our first eight races, or maybe even 10, are at All-American Speedway, mm -hmm. but then we go over to Irwindale, we go over to right. Kern County, we actually Quite go to fun. Sonoma, which is going to be really cool. Fun. I have zero road course experience, so um, <laughs> that's going to be a huge learning curve there. Yeah. We're also going to Thunder Hill, which is another road course, so right. it, like I said before, it's really going to teach us everything that we need to know to prepare us for the next level, including road courses. Yeah, that'll be fun. Throwing you to the wolves at Sonoma. It's like, well, yeah. here you go. One of the hardest road courses out there. So yeah. that'll be fun. So I know, Amber, now you're in North Carolina. You're from Canada. But did I hear that you're actually in the process of making the semi-permanent move out west because of all the racing going on? Yeah, I'm going to move down there just for the season. I mean, right. the flying back and forth, I only did it one weekend and it was exhausting. Yeah, so yeah. Um, it just makes more sense for me to be on the West Coast, especially with 40 races. You know, if there's only nine races, it probably would be a little different. But exactly. I want to be able to be, you know, around the area more around the uh, get to go in the shop and uh, just be more a part of the team. So I think that was the right decision to do. Yeah, I, I covered what, when it was then K&N. I covered K&N West being based here in D.C. and working a job here and K&N, like flying back and forth. And I'm like a big dude, so I can't sleep on planes. 
So it was brutal going back and forth. Can you like sleep on planes or are you one of those people that like needs more space? Cause I'm that guy. Um, I, I can kind of sleep on planes a little yeah. bit. Not well, this, our last flight got delayed. So, Oof. um, we missed our, or we were going to miss our connecting flight. Uh -huh. So they put us on a red eye and it took 17 hours to get back home. So we left at 6 30 PM and I didn't get home till 9 30 AM. Oh, and it was not a good God. flight experience. So I'm like, I'm de definitely happy that I made the decision to move to the West coast. And you got to wear a mask the whole time. Cause COVID it's like, Oh, that yeah. sounds, that sounds yeah. like a disaster, man. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm glad that you're going to be able to be out there. So you won't have to take those red eyes and be traveling for 17 hours. You could have flown to Australia in that time. <laughs> I mean, good God, geez. But, uh, wow. Glad, glad you're going to be out there. So you're going to be in like the Sacramento area. Um, I'm actually, I'm going to be in between Roseville area and then also Lake Elsinore. I have a friend that lives in Lake Elsinore. Oh, so I'll cool. be staying with her a lot of the time. Perfect. Cool. Well, as you mentioned, you've done a lot of different types of racing in your career so far, Amber. Uh, if I have this right, you started on dirt with go-karts, then you went up to mini sprints, sprint cars, limited late models, had a K&N start, super lates, a couple starts with KBM, and now who you are with BMR. Did I get all that right? You got it all right. Just uh, midgets last year, but other than that, okay. you got it right. <laughs> midgets last year. So that's a lot of different disciplines, and it all happened over a prolonged period of time, I know. So for listeners that may not be too familiar with you and your background, can you tell us how and why you got started in racing, being a third-generation racer? I know this is obviously in your family. It's in your blood. It's what you've always wanted to do since you were a little girl. But you've you've gone through the ringer. It's not like you just stepped foot in a car with family money and you said, yay, this is fun. Like, you've paid your dues so far. Yeah, definitely. My biggest challenge in my racing career has been finding the funding to do it. So I'm third generation racer. My mom's dad raced cars. And so my parents met at the racetrack and had me. I've literally been at the track since I've been in my mom's belly. And <laughs> wow. ever my all my cousins race go-karts. And when I was young, I watched everyone in my family race and I wanted yeah. to do it too. And I begged and begged to begged my dad to let me race and he was like all right if you want to race you got to do this on your own like racing is expensive it's time com uh time committing and it's just com a huge commitment overall you know racing isn't just a sport it's a life it's a lifestyle and you have to commit your whole life to it and um i was willing to do that so since 10 years old i've been finding my own sponsorships i've owned all my own race cars or drove for someone else i've never driven for my dad um and that's really rare in racing so so that's something I'm proud of, you know, it's, it's hard enough to be a race car driver, but to be able to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars to get in the car is a, a challenge on its own. So that's why the lack of seat time the last few years um, has been the way it was because I've been trying to move up the ranks of NASCAR, right. but just didn't have the funding. So super thankful that this year, after four years of working really hard, I finally got the funding to do a full season with Icon Direct. And it's really cool. They're out of my hometown of Winnipeg. It's probably just an hour outside Winkler, Manitoba. So it's really, really neat. My other sponsor has been with me for five years. They're out of my hometown. So it's really neat to be backed by Canadians, but out racing in California. That is pretty interesting. I think it's unique as well because, you know, there's some Canadian race car drivers that have come down to NASCAR and, and you know, worked their way up through the ranks there, especially in K&N too, uh, or K&N, put a dollar in the swear jar, ARCA. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, it's interesting to see Canadian back companies sticking with you, too. And, you know, as you said, funding has been the hardest part for you throughout your entire career. Has Icon Direct and your other sponsor, have they been with you in like a limited capacity throughout your progression? Or is this year kind of the first time that you've been exposed to them? Yeah, so um, Icon Direct, this is their first year with me. So this is a brand new partnership. It's really exciting. Um, Glenn McLeod and Sons is a trucking company out of Winnipeg. This is their fifth year with me. So they've been able to do a little bit more each and every year as their business continues to grow. And I continue to uh, move up the ranks. So I'm very thankful for them. Even when I was only doing a couple races a year, they're still helping me out. So um, the fact that they've stood by me and said, you know, you believe in you, so we believe in you and we want to help you succeed. It's very, very special. Just as an aside, since you're Canadian, I have to ask hockey questions. I think that's like a prerequisite. Are you a Winnipeg Jets fan, I would assume? I'm actually not only for the reason that um, my fiance's brother plays for the Las Vegas Golden Knights. So I'm actually uh -huh. a Knights fan. <laughs> okay. Well, interesting because I'm a Caps fan. So we beat your Knights uh -oh. a couple years ago for the Stanley <laughs> Cup. 
So we got a little rivalry going. I like that. Yeah. That's cool though. I mean, the Knights are a solid team too, because it's like, they're one of the new teams on the block. So they got that right. new, like shiny swagger to them. So I feel that. That's yeah. Cool. And I don't know if you've been to a game, but I got the chance to go to one and it was like a whole Vegas show. It was really, really oh, cool yeah. before COVID of course. <laughs> right. I went to, I went to a preseason game, um, when NASCAR actually was in Las Vegas and it was funny, like the race ended at the speedway. I hopped in my car, changed into my cap Stanley Cup gear. I was walking into T-Mobile Stadium alone, looking like a complete doofus. And it's a preseason oh. game. Like, who cares? And I just went in and I was like, yeah, let's go, Caps. It was this whole funny thing. And people were looking at me like, oh, like, screw this guy. But yeah. I survived. So we, I lived to tell the tale. Well, that's good. <laughs> yes, it is. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit more about your racing career, Amber. Um, you know, people may also know you as the first Canadian female to win a race sanctioned in the U.S. That was uh, with Lee Pulliam at Motor Mile in 2016. You were 24 years old then. So I'm curious back then, like how big of a deal was it to you? Did you understand the significance that came along with that being the historical factor of not just being Canadian, but being a female? And also just finally getting to victory lane at that level of motorsports. Like, did you understand how big of a deal that was? Not just for you personally, but on a grander scale. Well, racing for Lee, I knew he had good equipment and I had big shoes to fill. And for me to do well, I knew I had, I had to win in his equipment. So um, the the goal all season was to win. And luckily I got two wins with him, but that was my first year on pavement. So that mm -hmm. itself was a big learning curve. I went to four ten sprint cars to a limited late model. And, um, that transition, I was like, look, if I can figure it out in one year in 12 races and be able to win, then maybe I have a shot in NASCAR. And I really thought that after that win sponsors would come and calls would come and everything would go easy after that. And that was not the case whatsoever. I couldn't have been more wrong. So um, since then, I just tried to get more sponsorship to move up the ranks. And, and as anyone in this industry knows, it's not easy to get sponsorship. It doesn't matter how different you are, how fast you are, how many wins you have. It, it's, it's a business. And um, that's really what it comes down to. So I've learned a lot in the last four years. Um, it's been a struggle, but I'm super grateful for it because it's made me the person that I am. And I've grown a lot as a person, as a business person, as a driver, as a just a woman and you know has built my character and um I'm, I'm thankful for it all but I, i'm also someone who once i win i have a new goal <laughs> once i get yeah. that goal i have a new goal and um i try to appreciate the moments and live in the moments but when you're super goal oriented and you just want to get to the top it's it's hard to you celebrate the wins when you it's like you want more you get one good thing and you just keep wanting more and more and more so um, it's just, I wanted a sponsor for this year so I could race full season. I got that. Well, now all I can think about is winning and I, how do I win? How do I win? So, um, yeah, it's, I appreciate the victories, but it also just, uh, makes me hungrier for more. I mean, you know, firsthand racing is a cruel business. It's very unfair. So after you win that race, as you said, you know, you're expecting sponsors to come flooding in, right? You're unique. You're Canadian. You're a female. There's like, you're one of a kind, right? So sponsors should be banging down the door trying to get with you. And that's not what happened. So in the weeks that followed your win there, like take me into your mindset. Are you, are you saying, wow, this is going to be really, really hard? Are you saying, wow, maybe this isn't for me? You know, where are you mentally at that point? No, after that point, I was, I felt great because it kind of got the monkey off my back. I got my first win and was ready to go for more. Um, and then I think the second race, the, the following race, I got second, but I should have won because I just was trying to be respectful of the driver, but I should have just dri drove it in a little harder at him. Yeah. But um, it's, it's that nice fine line between do I, I wreck him win or, or do I play, I do I be more respectful? That's every driver's um, struggle there. But mm. um, no, it was, I thought that I would get the sponsorship for the next season and it just, it didn't happen. I got one for one race and I thought that it would go the rest of the year and it just wasn't the case. So I had to yeah. keep, keep working. So I know the, the reason that I asked, like if you knew how big of a deal it was, because I read that you got a, you got an award from the city of Winnipeg after that race. So like clearly back home, that was huge, right? I think it was the outstanding achievement award from the entire city of Winnipeg. That's a big, big deal. 
Yeah, I got a lot of um, local, and when I say local, I mean from my hometown, local right. media attention after that. And I think that was why I expected like, wow, I'm getting all this media attention from mm -hmm. this win, like a sponsor has to come. Um, and it didn't. And I, a lot of the people that I reached out to was in Manitoba. And so it was just kind of unique, but I think a lot of things happened to do with timing, you know, Icon, like Icon Direct. Um, they're out of my hometown, but they just kind of found out about me this year. So uh, it sometimes it just comes down to timing. Highest of highs with racing, you win, lowest of lows, right? You have this insane crash a few years later. Uh, you thought that you were paralyzed. Listening to you retell this story gave me, gave me goosebumps. It was insane to hear you tell it. So it happened at Valley Speedway in Missouri. You had a severe concussion, collapsed lungs, some burns, took you two months to recover from it. You had some trouble walking. I mean, this was this was not your run-of-the-mill crash. This this was a big, big deal. Could have been career debilitating, life debilitating. You overcame it. A lot to unpack with that specific crash. But I, I've seen like the clip that I think you tweeted out, and I you just see you like flipping in the background. What mm -hmm. what happened? Like I understand that you were flipping, but do you remember what happened to get you to that point? You don't? No, I, I honestly don't. I It was the feature. It was the first A main that I made with the Power Eye series uh, in, in that season. I was really excited and we were, I was uh, rolling up top hit on the cushion. And that's the only thing I remember is that I was rolling up top on the cushion. So I don't know if I hopped the cushion and, and flipped or if someone hit me. Like, I honestly have no idea what happened. Um, and even I've tried, I tried to ask different people, like, what happened? Yeah. What happened? And some people told me that someone hit me and some people told me that I did it on my own. So I honestly still don't know what happened. All I know is I woke up with a bunch of paramedics and stuff around me. I was hanging in the fence and then um, I like fell back asleep. And then the next time I woke up, I was in the ambulance and wow. yeah, that's pretty much all I remember. Hanging in the fence. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So you may not be able to remember this either, but you know, you see the, you see the flip and, and the crash, right? And I wasn't able to see like what happened in the aftermath, if there was any like explosions or whatever, but like, how did the burns themselves happen? Because like, did like a fuel line get hit or something? Do you know any of that? Yeah. So again, like I was knocked out for most right, of this, but right. what I think happened because my glove, actually I have my gloves right here so I can show oh, wow. you. Um, like my, do I have, oh, there we go. So like glove, my burns right here. Right. And gloves cover that. So I think what happened was once I got unbelted, I, I took my glove off and then I fell back asleep and my arm actually fell out of the car oh. to the side and was hit the muffler. So the, mm. the hot muffler, I think, is what burned my arms because there was no fires, I don't think. Right. That's so. why I was asking, because yeah. like I didn't see any flames or anything. So I don't know how that happened, but that makes sense. Mm. Wow. Damn. So two months to recover from that. Was there any point where you were like, can't do it, not getting back in the car? Or was it always just like, you know, this is part of it. It's what I signed up to do. We're going back after it. So I've had quite a lot of flips in my career, being in mini sprints, four ten sprint cars. Nothing That's new, yeah. Very common, yeah. Um, had concussions, but I've never been afraid. I've never been scared. I've never been rattled. I've, they just they happen, and that's it. This one, I think it was because when I woke up in the ambulance, like not being able to feel my limbs, I've never experienced that before. And that was really, really freaky. And then when I was in the hospital, I couldn't stop throwing up. I was in so much pain. I just, I was so out of whack that I was at that point I was done. I actually told my parents and my fiance, I said, I'm done racing. You guys don't have to worry about me anymore. Like I'm, I'm this is done. I'm done. This yeah. is not worth it. And then the next day, once, you know, I could, move a little bit more and things started to I started to feel a, a little bit more normal I was like yeah forget what I said yesterday like I'm sure I can recover soon enough so <laughs> um yeah it was I said it the, the night of that it happened I said I was done racing and that was the first time I've ever said that I've never never said that I was yeah. done racing like I have always planned to race for as long as I possibly can so that was the first time I ever said that but um, about a day or two later, I was figuring out how fast I can recover and, you know, how, how can I get my strength up and walk and everything to get back in the car? So two months and I was back in the car. Wow. Racers like, <laughs> it's like <laughs> one moment you're just like, yeah, maybe I should rethink this. And then you wake up the next morning, you slept on it. It's like, 
nah, I'm good. Like just yeah. a few months, you know, but what about yeah. those, those two months that follow with the recovery? I mean, how rigorous was it? Were you doing a lot of physical therapy? You know, I assume your fiance was helping you out throughout this process. Take me back there. Yeah. I think it was about a week or two before I could do more than like a three or four minute walk. Like I could walk to the bathroom and back, but as far as like getting any type of heart rate up was non-existent and I'm, I'm yeah. active. I work out, you know, six, seven times a week. And so yeah. to not work out for that long was hard and not like work on my computer was hard. For someone who's always busy and always working like to just do nothing was, that was the hardest part. Honestly, it was yeah. just do nothing. Um, mentally I, I was okay because in 2017, after I like really didn't have a sponsorship, I went through depression then, and I was able to kind of figure out how to overcome that. And so thankfully this time I didn't have that same like level of depression or anything like that. So mentally I, I was okay. I was knew that I could work through it and get back mm -hmm. in the car and everything like that. So, um, yeah, it just took a little bit of time. Uh, in this day and age, mental health is very prominent in terms of being at the forefront and in public with a lot of different people. I don't know if it's a lack of research on my part. I personally have not heard you talk about that before. So um, whatever you're comfortable with, I'm just curious in terms of when you battled that bout of depression, you're clearly, you know, still in the heat of your racing career and trying to make a name for yourself, work your way up through the ranks. How were you able to manage that and going through those struggles with your mental health? while also trying to say, all right, I'm trying to build my career here on the racetrack, because those are two very, very important things to help or to manage with yourself, but you got to give them each the proper attention they deserve. Definitely. I've struggled with mental health issues um, pretty much my whole life. I've gotten a lot better as I've gotten older. Uh, 2015 was a really, really hard year for me again, because 2014, I had a full ride in a 410 sprint car. The next year, that car owner said, I don't want to be a car owner anymore, and I'm going to race your car that you fundraised for. Hmm. So it was it was a hard situation, um, and I got really low then, And I but I picked myself up and, you know, figured out a way to climb out of it. And 2016 obviously was a really great year. I got to race mm -hmm. early. And then the same thing happened in 2017. And um, that was, I, since then, I just kind of realized like you can't let these things affect you like that. You know, it, it's, you're going to either have to deal with this path that you chose being a race car driver. It is a struggle and you have to deal, be okay with that or do something else because if you're going to do something that's really hard, you have to be prepared for the struggle and you have to be okay with it and learn to live with it and learn to embrace it. And that's kind of what I did. And that's why I said when this past year, when things didn't go well, I, I was okay because I knew that there's, this is just part of it. There's bumps in the road and this is just part of it. And, um, you know, there, for me, things that really help anyone that listening that suffers with depression or any mental health issues, reading really helps. And I'm not a reader. Like I, a lot of people say, Oh, but I'm not a reader. Like I wasn't either, but now I am. So yeah. reading really helps listening to podcasts really helps. Um, exercising really helps going out for walks in the nature, just spending time in nature, spending time with loved ones. Um, it's, I think mental health is, even though there's always going to be a little part of it there, I think it's still something we can work through as humans mm -hmm. and get better at. And it's like any skill you, you just got to keep working at it, keep working at it and figure out what makes you feel better. If it's journaling or there's just a lot of different ways and different resources that you can use. So, um, yeah, it's like I said, I've dealt with it a lot. It's, it's been hard. I've, I've talked a little bit about it on my social media. Um, not a ton, but, um, yeah that's, that's a story there. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I appreciate you sharing that. Cause I know it's something that's, you know, not easy to talk about, but it, it's worth talking about and worth bringing up. Cause it's an important thing. And definitely if anybody's listening, you are not alone. I mean, there's been yeah. other guests on this podcast as well that have survived suicide attempts and have talked very candidly about that. So, um, again, if you're listening, you're obviously not alone and there's a lot of things that you can do to, to help yourself get through it. And a lot of people that are there for you, as well. And also feel free to reach out to me if you just need someone to talk to, because like I said, I've been, I've been there, I understand it, I get it, but um, yeah. there is there is light, there is another side, so. Love it. Thanks for sharing that. I appreciate it. So let's yeah. get back to the racing part. Um, you mentioned, you know, funding has been the biggest obstacle for you in your career, as it is for pretty much any race car driver that doesn't come with family funding or a sponsor that's been with them their entire career. 
you got a business degree to help yourself with all this stuff, though. A lot of people can't say that. So you're putting in the work, Amber. Yeah. So I actually have my uh, business degree because when I was done high school, I was like any other kid. I'm like, what do I do now? I really didn't know what I wanted to be or do. And um, I come from a family of racers, but they're all weekend races. They're all dirt weekend races. They still have a nine to five job. So Mm -hmm. um, I, I knew I wanted to race my whole life, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I went to business school and I all I did was dream about racing and race cars. And so I got my two-year diploma and then I went to get my bachelor's degree at uh, University of Manitoba. And I was sitting in class one day and I had an aha moment. And I was, cause I was again, just daydreaming about being at a racetrack in a race car. And I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I here? I don't want to be here. I want to be racing cars. And so I was like, well, why don't I just go do that? And so I went home to my parents and I said, I'm dropping out of university and I'm going to try to pursue a career in racing. And they're like, do you know how hard that's going to be? And I was like, uh, no, yeah, I'm sure it's going to be hard, but I, that's what I want. Yeah. And they're like, all right, well, you know, we can't financially support you. Right. And I was like, well, yeah, I know that. And they're like, well, we more at least support you. And I said, that's perfect. That's all I need. So, um, yeah, I had no idea how hard it actually was going to be, but again, like I said before, I'm super thankful I took this route because it's taught me so much about business, about sports, about, um, just building character. And, um, yeah, again, I'm just proud of who it's made me as a person. So you said you dropped out, but did you go back and you finish your degree? No. So I have my two-year business diploma, Okay. but I don't have my four-year degree. So I have my, uh, I have my diploma of business and marketing. Got it. Okay. That makes sense then. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I know you, you grinded before that too, because you used to go with your dad and sell racing decals to try to pay for your racing career as well. So like from a really, really young age, that kind of paved the path for you and shows that you you've had this drive to succeed and make it no matter what obstacles are in front of you from a really, really young age. I mean, I don't even remember what I was doing at, you know, eight, 10 years old, but I wasn't trying to make money to fund my racing career. So <laughs> you've done this for a while. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, I've just always wanted to race. I've always loved racing. And mm-hmm. to me, there's no other feeling like being in a race car. And I just want to show people, I think the main reason why I haven't given up is because I want to show people like you don't need to have all the money in the world. You don't need to have every tool in the toolbox. You just have to learn how to be resourceful. You have to be willing to work really hard. And it sounds cheesy, but you have to believe in yourself. And um, that's something I've even struggled with a lot, you know, especially when you don't get sponsorship or things like that. It's, it's hard to believe in yourself when not, when the situation isn't always perfect, but um, you just got to keep pushing forward and one step in front of the other and, you know, recognize your small victories, but ju- just keep using it, propel you for using it to propel you forward. So, um, I think I've always had that drive in me. It's just a matter of, you know, keeping a positive attitude and having the proper mindset and, and doing everything you can to reach the next level. We're getting motivational out here. I like <laughs> it. <laughs> it's true though. I mean, it, but the thing is too, like, you know, we're talking about, you got to believe in yourself. Passion is power, all this type of stuff. And it's all true. But at the end of the day, if you want to make it in racing in in the climate that we have now, you still need money. Like, like that's just how it is. And I heard you say, I think it was on Noah's podcast, Noah talks NASCAR, you know, the BMR driver's Academy was actually a lower price point than any other real series that you could get into. And this is like public information. I'm not like divulging any secrets here it's literally on the bmr drivers academy website but that's two hundred and sixty eight thousand five hundred dollars to compete in that like this is not just bill macking out he's the nicest dude ever i love him to death bill's not just giving away these rides like he can't afford to do that he's done it before and he'll probably do it again but even so amber like you've you've attracted these sponsors and they were willing to hop on with you and foot the bill for this but it's still not cheap and this you said was a lower price point than a lot of other things. So I just want people to understand that like Bill's program is amazing in what they're doing. It still costs money, but even that number, $268,500,000, that's still expensive, but it's yeah. one of the cheaper options. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is like, it's not like I'm, you know, when I was younger selling stickers with my dad, I was I need $500. I need $700, right. you know, and now it's, I need hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I don't have an agent. I don't have a marketer. I don't have like, I'm doing all of this. Myself. I went through I'm you one. to book this interview. I did not go yes. through an agency or anything. <laughs> yes. I'm the, I'm fulfilling the merchandise orders online. I'm, you know, I'm 
everything you see on my social on that, like I'm doing everyone, I'm booking yeah. my own flights to the races. Like it's most people, again, in my situation, have people that take care of all of this for mm-hmm. them. And I've had to be my own manager, my own business person, my own driver. And so sometimes it can be a little overwhelming, but it's what I have to do to get to the next level. And I think once I came to terms, like, look, you're going to have to work 10 times harder than everyone else to get where you want to go. And that's just how it is. So you either do this or you find a different career. And once I realized that and made that decision and commitment, it, it got not easier, but it was mindset wise a little bit easier like all right let's just get your head down and get to work all right people may also know you amber because of your appearances on racing wives a couple years ago and here in the states i mean you live in here now so you understand like some people especially in nascar they kind of have a bad taste in their mouth from that show but i want to try to clear the air on some things (laughs) first off how was it being a part of that show in general because you are not a racing wife you are a race car driver and the other pe- the other women on the show, like the rest of the cast, they were wives or girlfriends or spouses, you know? So you were like the one outlier and the one differentiating person that was on the cast of the show. So in general, it's just you were like the different person on that show. I feel like that had to be a little bit weird. Yeah, it was, it was different, but I was just thankful for the opportunity. Like I said before, in 2017, I didn't have sponsorship and I think, yeah, that's when this opportunity came about. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, like my mind is the first thing I think about is sponsorship. That's all I think about. So in my mind, I'm like, this will open doors for sponsorship. This will get me exposure to get sponsors. This nobody would turn that down. Yeah. And, um, not only that, but I'm here on a visa. Um, that doesn't allow me to work outside of racing. So I'm broke as shit <laughs> for lack of a better term. And it it paid. And anyone in my situation would have done the same thing, I think. You know, it's an Absolutely. opportunity to get sponsorship so I can get in a race car. Not only get in a race car, but get in with KBM, which is one of the best teams in NASCAR. 100%, yeah. And learn from one of the best race car drivers there is, Kyle You'd Busch. be dumb to not do that, yeah. Right. And, um, you know, it was it was sold to me as more of a woman empowerment type of show. Mm-hmm. It, it Producers do what they need to do to do well at their jobs. Yes, they do. And so um, Samantha was the one who gave, presented this opportunity to me, said, hey, I'm part of the show. One of the girls isn't able to do it anymore. They're looking for another girl. Would you be interested? She's like, I really think it will help you with sponsorship. I said, yes, absolutely. And Sam and I talked previously before the show about me racing for KBM. She actually mm-hmm. reached out to me and said, I think you would be, you know, I've seen you win like let's talk about getting into Kyle's trucks because I think it'd be really cool to have a female at KBM I was like yeah absolutely so the CMT and producers they interviewed me they liked me and that's how I came a part of the show um as far as the show itself I learned a lot um it was a great opportunity I got to experience things that I would have never experienced before Mm -hmm. if it wasn't for that show um but it was it was hard in the way that it's hard when people are portraying you a certain way that you may not necessarily be. Mm-hmm. And then people are judging you on that when that it's not really the truth. I, and yeah. you're getting judged on things that you didn't actually do <laughs> um, or say or but yep. it, you know, it really taught me to not care what people think about me. So that's that was a good lesson. That's fair, too. I, I'm picking up what you're putting down. I, <laughs> I, I, I get it. I, I need to ask a couple more questions, though, because I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't. Right. So like we understand reality TV, it's like some of it's scripted. A lot of it's fake. Some of it's real. Right. So like watching the show back and I watched like a couple episodes. I, I maybe watched the whole thing. A couple things stand out like that. I remember. But I mean, like in general, like how much of it was real, how much of it was fake, how much of it was like the real Amber Balkan and how much of it was fabricated, like them putting in very convenient edits in certain places to, as you said, portray you in a light that is not 100% accurate, which I feel like got like watching it back. That's got to be extremely aggravating. Like you're doing this because you're trying to get in. Yeah, I didn't even watch the finale um, because I had so much anxiety just watching the show because it's like, this is how everyone watching views me. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, I would say this, the baseline of everything is real. 
I am a race car driver. I am from Canada. I am trying to race with KBM. Um, I am trying to find sponsors. The baseline of everything is absolutely real. When you see me cry, that's me crying. I'm not acting. That <laughs> um, I really was crying. Um, but they don't show every piece and they edit things how they want it to look and leave out certain things so things look certain ways and um, things like that. Does that yeah. answer your question? No, it does. And like, like I work in television. So like, I understand like, that's the producer's job. Like they get paid good money to do that. And they're really good at it. That's why the show yep. gets viewers. Like you understand that as well, but I'm trying to put myself in your shoes. Like if I'm, if I'm here on a work visa, as you said, broke as shit, of course I'm going to do this. And you know, you think people in good faith are going to portray me in the light that I should be. And then when you watch some of the episodes back and you see that it's just not, it's like, it's just, an, it's annoying, frustrating, unfair, heartbreaking. Like, it's really like not fair to you. So I, that's also part of the reason why I wanted to speak with you because I feel like a lot of people may have heard your name through that show and just thought, Oh, she's another female race car driver. It's going to flame out, not pan out, like right. all look, whatever, but yeah. you're more than that. So I, I wanted people to like understand that because I hadn't gotten the chance to speak with you until the BMR drivers Academy came up. Right. And I'll be honest, all I really knew about you was what I saw from racing wives, but I was like, that's not her. Like that show is not yeah. like the real people, you know, I want to get to right. know the real people behind it. So I'm glad that people hopefully are able to understand and listen to you and say like, okay, like this girl's been through the ringer. Like she knows her stuff and like racing wives is not the real Amber Balkan. We can officially <laughs> say that. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I hope that too. The good thing is it did reach a new fan base that sure. I didn't have otherwise. Right. And I did get a lot of positive messages as well being like, thank you so much. You're such an inspiration, you know, like really great messages. And right. now those people get to follow my racing journey and the people who may have seen me on there who didn't like me or didn't like how I was portrayed, you know, even though they know me now, maybe when they see me in Arca or Xfinity one day, they're like, oh, they can say, oh, that's her. And oh, yeah. this is actually who she is now. And so, um, you know, I guess I have a little bit of deep backtracking to do for some people, or I don't know the right word for it. But um, uh, at the end of the day, it, it all comes down to, I know who I am. I know what I've been through. Mm -hmm. I know how hard I work. And I know that every opportunity that I've received, I've earned because I worked really hard for it. So um, that's that's really all that matters for anyone watching. Like, as long as you know who you are and you're doing the right thing and, and you do good by people and you work hard and then that's all that matters because it doesn't matter if you're on a reality TV show or, you know, go on Twitter and just look at the driver comments. You know, a driver can get can win a race and people will say that they're the worst driver in the entire world. Yep. So it's just, it's part of, part of uh being an athlete being in the sport and um people on the internet like to talk crap so <laughs> that's a mic drop right there I'll, i think we'll leave it at that a <laughs> couple more things i want to hit on your uh your personal life because your fiance jordan reeves if if people are canadian they are and they're cfl fans i for one am not but now i may be after talking <laughs> to you he's a football player in the cfl and I was listening to, again, on Noah's podcast. So Noah, if you're listening, thank you for all this like wonderful <laughs> content and ideas. But you want your kids to be kickers. You don't want them to be race car drivers, not a linebacker, not a running back. Let's just be a kicker, make some money, don't get hurt, call it a yeah. day. Yeah. I just, I thought, because everyone says like, oh, you will want your kids to race. I'm like, no, I don't want them to have to go through everything <laughs> I've been through. And yeah. I'm going to be like my dad and say, if you do want to race, you're going to have to do it on your own because I mm -hmm. know how much costs and yeah. it, it costs a lot and it, it's a time commitment um but yeah i'm hoping they have his genes and just are a really good athlete <laughs> and really good at football and <laughs> i think kicker is safe you may you have a long career and mm -hmm. yeah it, it seems like a good choice but again whatever they want to do we will support yes. <laughs> i think we should add punter to the mix because like punter could work punter may not be as safe as kicker because like you can get penalties and whatnot but it's still the rough you know, job description of kicking a football. So I think we can say kicker or punter on special teams. Let's call it that. Yeah, that works. <laughs> okay, okay, good. All right, Amber, last question. This season with the Drivers Academy, right? You finished uh, fourth and fifth in the last couple races at Roseville. You're getting thrown to the Wolves at Sonoma. You're going to Irwindale, one of my favorite tracks. I think you're going to like that place I'm excited a lot. for Irwindale. Um, yeah. 
what is the goal for you overall with this academy besides getting the seat time? You know, like obviously you have aspirations of moving up to ARCA, Trucks, Xfinity Cup and making history, right? But you obviously understand that's not going to happen in overnight, two, three, five years, maybe not even 10. Like, I don't know. So short term and long term, can you tell the listeners what your goals are and where you want to be, what success you want to have in the sport? Yeah, I my plan for this year is to obviously learn and improve every single race, but to win as many races as I can. I still expect to win this year. Every almost everything I've hopped in, I've been able to win at least by the end of the season. And and with 40 races, I should be winning at least by the middle of the season. So I'm only going to get better. I'm only going to keep improving. And um, I hope to win as many races as I can. I would love to win the championship as well. I know Colmore is um, that Roseville's his local track and yeah. he's got a lot of seat time there. He's won championships there, but we got other tracks that I could beat him at for sure. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm still going for the championship and, um, get in those Arca West cars as well. The, yeah. the points meter after a certain amount of races does get the opportunity to race in the Arca series. So, mm-hmm. um, I hope to do the full BMR Academy, win as many races as possible, win the championship, be the points leader and get those three Arca West races as well. I think I'm going to have Bill on soon because I want to get his perspective on starting this whole academy and see what he thinks about his driver lineup. So that'll be good. good. I'll say one thing that if you aren't able to have him on, I know he would say the how close we all were was insane. Like the qualifying, we were like within, I think, a tenth or or so within all of us, like the wow. top five, I think we're all like, we we're also really close. Yeah. We'll just say that. Like it's, I mean, we're all in his equipment, so it's mm-hmm. a pretty evil, even playing field. And right. all of us drivers were so close. It was, that's the thing I was most surprised of is how close we all were. Bill McAnally picking talented drivers. Would have never guessed that, right? <laughs> yeah, Crazy right? how that works. <laughs> Almost like and he knows what he's doing or something. <laughs> I know, right? And, and for, for longtime fans that have like remembered, you know, driver development programs, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the gong show, Amber, but it's something that Roush Fenway racing did like okay. probably yeah. at this point, 15 years ago, I didn't even watch it, but I watched like clips of it, but it's essentially what Bill's doing with the driver's Academy. It's like putting everybody in like equal equipment on the same track, media training on track stuff, giving them opportunities to move up in the series. If they like hit a certain amount of successful goals. So I right. guess we can consider this like, the Bill McAnally gong show 2021 type of thing. So for, for old time listeners that like may remember that that's pretty much what this is. So if you see Amber moving up, she can be a BMR gong show graduate. How about that? (laughs) I'll have to tell Bill about that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We'll tell him. Well, Amber, I appreciate your time today. I I really do. Because as I said, I think people uh, may have had a certain preconceived notion of you. And I, and I hope that people were able to listen and see the real Amber, today. Uh, so I appreciate you for that. Your honesty, your candor. I, I really do. So, um, I'll let you get back to your day and, uh, hopefully in, uh, I don't know, 10, 15 years, maybe we can be talking about your kids being uh peewee kickers and having some CFL aspirations. Kids seem very far, very, very far in the near future. <laughs> Trust but me, me too. Yeah. Not, not something I think about right now. I just no. think about uh, winning races. But yeah, right now we'll focus on racing. <laughs> yeah, we will. Trust me, I ain't thinking about that anytime soon either. I'm, I'm with you. All right, Amber. Uh, well, best of luck the rest of the year in the Drivers Academy. I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot more of you, and we'll be uh, we'll be seeing you on TV and hearing from you in the media during the weeks. But best of luck down the road, and we will catch you next time. Thank you very much for having me on your show. And we're back. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. Really want to thank Amber for her time. Honesty, candor, for real. Like, And I said it in the interview. I didn't go through anybody but her to book this. She does everything herself. So appreciate her time. Appreciate her perspective and her honesty. We will definitely be hearing from her in the future as we go on in the NASCAR season. No race to preview this week because it is Easter weekend and Passover for all my homies out there. Enjoy your matzah. So without further ado, let's get into Love Nuts of the Week. Cue that funky music, white boy. Mike Wallace and Josh Rayum have been reinstated following completion of NASCAR requirements. They were suspended. Now they are not. NASCAR completed a rain tire test at Martinsville Speedway with Kyle Larson and Chris Busher, looking to potentially run those as soon as later this year in damp conditions on short tracks such as Richmond, Martinsville, New Hampshire, etc. That'd be cool. IT Savvy joins Ryan Newman and Roush Fenway Racing as a primary partner for 2021. 
Sad news, Bernice Wood passed away at the age of 90. Thoughts and prayers go out to the Wood family because she was a hell of a lady. Chase Elliott's going to honor Alan Kulwicki with a Darlington throwback scheme with Hooters on the hood. Actually, April 1st, an anniversary of Mr. Kulwicki's death, which I was talking to my dad about. Can you imagine if that happened now and all the April Fool's jokes that would happen? Like, that is crazy, crazy timing. RIP to Mr. Kulwicki. Ryan Ellis is going to honor his grandfather, Vic, with a Darlington throwback with keen parts on the car. Brandon Godovic is stepping in for a Santino Ferrucci at Martinsville with Sam Hunt Racing. LOF Defense Systems sponsoring Kyle Weatherman at Martinsville. And Jessica Friesen broke the news by Stuart Friesen on the morning drive. She will attempt to qualify for the Knoxville Truck Series race for Hallmark Friesen Racing later this summer. Whew. Big interview as always. Big show as always, and I appreciate you guys tuning in. If you like what you heard, do me a favor. Leave a rating and a review. Subscribe to this podcast. We're available wherever you get your podcast, but iTunes, Spotify, Google, SoundCloud, the usual places should be there for your consumption. Really helps spreading the word, and I'm putting a lot of work in. I'm a one-man band out here. I know there's some better podcasts out there production quality-wise, guest-wise, but I hope that you guys like what I'm doing with this little one-stop shop here. So any any help in spreading the word would be much appreciated. But that will wrap things up for episode 101 of Victory Lane 2.0. we got another good guest coming next week from the world of NASCAR. Stay tuned. Hit subscribe so you'll find out who it is right when the episode drops. Until next week, stay safe, stay inside, keep washing those hands, mask up. If you're eligible, go get shot up with that vaccine. Let's get back to normal, and let's have a great off weekend. Talk to you guys next time.